So hello and welcome to our series of podcasts from our Arrow Vision event in 2019. Wow, what a day, eh? What a day. This is um, So this is the first time we've run this event, and essentially what we've done is taken over the whole of Olympia. And I'm not even joking, the whole of Olympia. It's, it's a big old place, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And we filled it. We didn't do too bad, did we, actually? We've done Congrats fantastic. to all the Arrow team involved. That's what I'd say. Very that much. That was a very much big thing. old call, that. So what you're going to listen to over the next uh, six weeks is essentially the sessions, the breakout sessions that we had at Vision. So we've recorded them all as audio files, and we're essentially going to put them out for your listening delights. And I tell you what, that's going to cover a heck of a lot of topics as well, isn't it? Yes. So right. we've had uh, data intelligence, AI, IoT. So apologies in advance, you're going to hear my dulcet tones again. Security, cloud, and next generation data center. Wow. So, I, oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I, we're too polite. Mate. We are too polite, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> so I think, um, hopefully, yeah, for your listening pleasure, um, if you were unable to attend Vision this year, um, I think, yeah, you get an insight as to hopefully some of the uh, some of the content, some of the trends, some of the some of the latest news, some of the updates from vendors old and new, yeah, absolutely, and from uh, across the uh, the Arrow family. Yes, very much so. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, you know, I, I would always suggest any feedback, much received. Yeah, hashtag Arrowfamily on Twitter. Yeah. Awesome. And we will, uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it and we'll speak to you soon. Brilliant. Enjoy. Right, good afternoon. My name's Neil Palmer. I'm Director for Networking and Security at Arrow ECS. And uh, delighted to welcome you to our security track this afternoon here at Vision. Uh, also, a big thank you to the vendor partners we're working with today, uh, namely Checkpoint, F5, Symantec, Splunk, Citrix, and IBM. By way of an agenda, uh, shortly I'll be handing over to Mark Hitchens of Checkpoint. He's going to talk us through uh, this bit of the state of the nation with security, the security uh, position today, and the role of AI. Then we'll have uh, a panel discussion involving all uh, vendor participants, talking about, uh, again, the market and uh, where we're headed. Uh, and then we'll hand over to uh, our vendor partners to talk about, um, put them in the spotlight. What are the key messages? What are the key headlines that they would, uh, the takeaways that they'd like to uh, get across to you today? So in the audience and this event in general, we have people uh, and companies that are working in security today. And we also have many that are not and looking to work into, into security. And so it's probably very relevant to talk about what, what's the scale we're talking about with, with uh, the cyber market today. And uh, indeed, when you look at reports like this, which I appreciate it's hard to read the detail on here, but as a global... Hello, hello. Okay. As a global risk uh, uh, report, we see cyber attacks firmly in that top right quadrant where, where it's one of the most likely things to happen and also the biggest impact and severity that uh, that will have uh, should that come about. You know, you've got things like extreme weather and water crisis and cyber, cyber attacks. A report I saw estimates the cybercrime damages, so the, the, uh, what it's going to cost all our organizations globally, $6 trillion in, in two years' time. That's a frighteningly large number. And um, as I understand it, that, that represents uh, the equivalent of, or makes cybercrime more profitable than the global trade of all major drugs. That's uh, an insane number. 
And the, the theme for vision this year has been AI. And uh, hello, sorry. Uh, yes, so the theme of this of this event has been AI, and of course that's so so relevant to cybersecurity. And uh, why is that? Because hackers are using AI more and more, um, because it takes less effort on their part to get high yields and high returns, where they can morph malware to evade uh, uh, legacy uh, protection that organizations have and uh, cause a lot of disruption with that. And uh, a report of a, a survey that Hello, hello. A report uh, I saw surveying uh, organizations claimed that 85% of organizations not fully deployed automation as cybersecurity. Uh, that's, uh, again, another frightening statistic, but for people in this room, that's highly relevant because that gives us the reason and uh, uh, to, to talk to our end users and uh, make sure they're aware of these threats and, and what they can do about it and how, how we can mitigate that. Mark. Thank you, Neil. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name's Mark Hitchens. I'm the uh, Channel SE manager for the UK and Ireland, working at Checkpoint. Um, as Neil said today, I've been asked to talk about um, what's going on with regards to the uh, security market, so a bit of a state of the nation type thing, uh, and then uh, talk uh, a bit about AI as well. The AI will come sort of like uh, secondary within the presentation. Um, and so the reason we're going to talk about um, uh, state of the nation with security is for those who are not involved in security, it might give you a good opportunity to say, yeah, that's the market for me I want to get into. And those who are already here can uh, have a look and see uh, what the insights from Checkpoint, what we're seeing happening. Um, I'm also going to be doing a bit of um, uh, AI uh, uh, towards the end, as I said, um, which is uh, quite a, a hot topic in the industry. It's also one of those things that people are debating and talking and arguing about whether it's the right definition of the word AI. Um, a lecture I went to uh, recently, uh, the guy said, well, if it's written in Python, it's machine learning. If it's written in PowerPoint, it's AI. Uh, so I'll leave you to do that with as you will. Um, apologies, if, apologies if you were here earlier on, but uh, also the, because uh, I'm going to repeat uh, uh, an interesting anecdote. Uh, but uh, I was speaking to my wife about what I was going to speak uh, about today, and I mentioned AI. And it's interesting how the definition of AI also out goes outside the boundaries of a technical audience because we then start having a very strange discussion around uh, AI and security um, and it was the most odd discussion which eventually I found out the reason behind it was because she's a big Archers fan on Radio 4 and within the farming industry AI means something completely different again so we were obviously at loggerheads there anyway moving on uh, checkpoints uh, 25 years old uh, happy birthday to us. That was in 2018. We've been in, uh, around for 25 years. Um, and since the creation, we've seen many interesting and extraordinary things along the way on uh, what you could describe as our own very unexpected journey, perhaps. Um, also 25 years ago, we saw that uh, Intel released the Pentium processor, which was the fifth generation of x86 microprocessor, which allowed programs to, to work faster. Um, be more responsive due to things like uh, advances such as uh, the process was able to execute multiple lines of instruction at the same time. We also saw Windows, I did that last time, we also saw Microsoft release Windows NT 3.1 
Uh, NT standing for new technology, and this was a network operating system which was due to which was released to compete with uh, uh, Novell's Netware OS uh, in the expanding server market at the time. And uh, finally, at the same time, 25 years ago, um, uh, Tim Berners-Lee up here was uh, became a proud father as the World Wide Web was born in CERN. Um, and obviously, very shortly afterwards, internet security was also uh, born, and Checkpoint have been there every step of the way, as you can see from this quite outdated and basic GUI that uh, we had with uh, our firewall uh, 3.0, 4.0, etc. So today, uh, the cybersecurity market has grown beyond recognition. Uh, from those early to early days, propelled by the rapid growth of technology, as well as the uh, need for businesses to protect themselves against the security risks. Uh, and as you can see, the average expenditure in cybersecurity has su increased significantly, uh, and within the next five years, that's due to grow beyond $300 billion uh, per year. So as you can see, it's quite a lucrative market to be in at the moment. Um, so, as I say, it's, it's, uh, what, what's contributed to this growth? Um, technology as well as the need to, prov to provide security and to pr uh, uh, prevent risk getting inside the organization. And the two sort of go hand in hand. As you see technology evolving, you also see people using that technology for uh, malpurposes and will use it as forms of, of attack. But I wanted to have a look into some of the areas that are probably lying behind that uh, growth. Uh, first one I want to talk about is the Internet of Things, and uh, ultimately for us as security professionals, um, this represents a scale challenge that we, we're having difficulty in fathoming, really. Uh, the growth of devices that are connected to the network, uh, even in within my own home environment, I've got intelligent uh, light bulbs, uh, I can control the heating via voice interface devices, etc., We'll think about that on a scale of somebody who, for example, we had a, I, I was in a talk with um, a guy who's running the, the infrastructure for the uh, Denver Broncos Stadium. Um, he's also got all the, obviously already got all the stuff like point of sales, uh, tills, ticket machines, uh, networking, Wi-Fi, HVAC systems, etc. But to that, he's looking to add intelligent light bulbs and LED. Suddenly, that's a massive deployment of IP-enabled devices with, with a processor on board which have some sort of intelligence but not enough of a processor or memory to be put some sort of security on. So when you think about the, it that way around, that's actually quite a, a, a difficult thing to comprehend, the growth of the IoT market, and to see that just continually growing. Um, with regards, um, uh, another reason would be sort of the vulnerabilities, the way that they're growing. Vulnerabilities exist in all software, and there's more and more applications these days that people are creating. And all software probably has some sort of vulnerability in it, some more dangerous than others. And hackers will be out there prodding and poking, the, poking these vulnerabilities to find out what they make the program do. Can they make it do something unusual? Um, now, initially, from the when we started becoming connected back in uh, 1999 through to 2006, we saw a steady growth of these vulnerabilities as people started finding them and working out what they did and how to use them. But then it died off um, for the next roughly about 10 years. It slowed down, de deprecated, um, uh, it, it and became very steady. And uh, some people even led to the belief that this was um, the, the death of uh, uh, signatures and stuff. There was no need for them anymore. We'd captured them all. 
Uh, but then it, it took off again in uh, 2016, and over the last two years, we've actually seen a growth well beyond the, the, the whole of this entire life cycle since we first started finding vulnerabilities. Uh, probably due to things like uh, being able to take malware and then changing its, uh, its appearance, changing its, uh, its recognition so the signatures don't spot it. So we're seeing a massive increase in vulnerabilities within um, applications and software. Um, of course, I couldn't be up here without talking about the cloud and how people are moving to the cloud, either in its entirety, a full migration, a uh, forklift upgrade to the, cra up to the cra uh, cloud, or a, a hybrid where there's a, a, um, e uh, um, some on-premises stuff with the cloud. Um, uh, and again, people uh, have sort of had a look around and uh, decided, oh, come on. How come my internal infrastructure isn't as reliable as that infrastructure put out by the people who are selling, selling me books or banking or whatever? So obviously the obvious thing to do would be to outsource that to the people who provide a reliable service, the cloud service providers. So a lot of the internal infrastructure is moving to the cloud because of that reliability. But on the downside of that, it's very difficult to understand where um, your data is at any single time, uh, data and resources are at any single point in time. And butting up against that, and, and, and because of that, because of the pace of things as, it, as it's happening, that we're seeing organizations bringing together what used to be disparate parts of the organization, such as the development side and the operation side, and they're becoming either virtually or physically joined to become DevOps, the, uh, in order for the, the industry to, to keep going with the continual deployment of applications, that continual enablement. Um, and actually, I've also seen DevSecOps, where the, the DevSecOps becomes a, 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 a job title as well. Um, and, uh, and basically, um, this, this enables um, the continuous integration, continuous deployment of software of applications, uh, uh, whereas it used to be in like a waterfall where it'd start at the top and work all the way down and eventually the operations team would either give it the yes, we're going to deploy it or not because it's either secure or it isn't or fit for purpose or it isn't. Now that that integration happens all the time where actually the security is in there and the development of it is in there and, uh, and then it's released. Uh, and we've got microservices as well. So microservices where that people have taken what used to be monolithic applications and broke them down into, into small versions, just small bits of code functions, in fact, that can be spun up, scaled up, and put, put out across in the entire globe and the entire network in, in hundreds of thousands of instances at the touch of a button. So what's the issues that we have with that? Well, the explosion of the connectedness that we've seen through IoT actually means that our attack surface has no limit. That's right, no limit to the attack surface available to uh, people who want to do us harm. And with the uh, migration to the cloud, we're seeing a loss of architectural control. As I mentioned, there's no real way to know at any one point in time where your data or resources are. It's somebody else's infrastructure, and that's being moved around. It's always available, yes, but where is it? We don't know. And with the micro, uh, automated microservices, it's, um, it's excellent that we can put this code out there, press a button and be deployed. But if there's any human frailty or faults that are injected into the code or poorly designed, then those vulnerabilities we talked about are not just sent to one place, they're sent to hundreds of thousands of places all at the same time. So it's mass distribution of vulnerabilities if it's not looked after properly. Um, so 
there's massive opportunity out there. If you're a partner who's like, I don't do security, or I want to do more in security, the opportunity is there. It's massive. There's a big growth in the marketplace, um, and that's why it's looking so busy up here on my left and right. Um, there's a lot of people in there. There's a lot of startups. There's a lot of uh, experienced people in there. Um, there's hundreds of vendors that you can see up here, but probably it's probably nearer thousands of vendors, and it's all split down into 16 to 18 categories according to this uh, uh, diagram. But if you were, as I say, wanting to get into security or you were a customer who thought, right, I need to start thinking seriously about security, where do you start? Where do you start picking the individual uh, items that you need to actually secure your business? And as a partner, how do you invest in the right security partner to use? Um, this sort of uh, de deployment is complex. It adds complexity. It's difficult. I mean, there's, there's a, a staffing shortage within the IT industry these days. Um, where there's not enough people who are qualified to look after this stuff. So if you're thinking of taking up some vendors and thinking, right, yes, we'd want to start doing security, and you're thinking I need 16, 18 different professionals or somebody who's able to learn a lot of information in a short period of time, uh, then that's quite difficult to do. Um, the good news is that Checkpoint fit into most of those categories, either uh, uh, between 80 and 90% of those categories. So that makes it easy. So that's a, a really good uh, reason to, to consider Checkpoint when you're, if you're starting that journey. Uh, and we also offer a, a, a very good channel partner program as well. Um, so how do we protect against these instances? Well, um, our goal uh, is actually to provide customers and partners with a security architecture that is required to actually deal with the upcoming challenges. Uh, and we call that um, our infinity architecture. Um, the infinity architecture starts with a consolidated database of all our threat intelligence. As I said, we've been at it 25 years now, so all that's been consolidated and put into a single database um, through a management platform. And we're also bringing in um, automated security now through API. So we're, we're allowing people to move away from GUIs, which can slow stuff down, and actually help them program stuff through the API, which means it's faster to deploy its automated deployment. On top of that, we've got our threat intelligence cloud, uh, threat intelligence feed called uh, Threat Cloud, which is this. This is based on uh, analysis from our uh, checkpoint analyst, expert analyst, as well as third-party feeds as well. So we take third-party feeds into this. Uh, and just to give you an idea of what the Threat Cloud does, uh, it's processing 86 uh, billion indicators of compromise per day. And if you compare that to Google, who's doing six billion searches per day, you can gather the scale of things. It's massive, the amount of stuff we're having to look through to, to work it out. Um, and yeah, that's becoming sort of like slightly difficult to manage. So this is where we have introduced AI into uh, the checkpoint um, portfolio within our threat intelligence in order to help our expert analysts. Um, when we were talking about um, uh, loss of architectural control, uh, Checkpoint have introduced security gateways uh, both in terms of, um, uh, or security services, both in terms of software as a service, so your Office 365 can be protected, as well as G Suite, etc. So when that information is being flowing between, your e between the end users and the cloud, we're able to make sure that that's safe information. We've also got infrastructure as a service with regards to virtual uh, security gateways, which are uh, uh, able to be deployed in all the public cloud and private cloud environments. Um, and when it comes to, uh, we talked about um, going to the cloud uh, and actually doing, uh, being able to do the, the um, continual integration, continual deployment, that comes along with our latest acquisition, 
which is that sort of sky blue dome thing just there, uh, which is a Dome 9 acquisition which we did last year. Uh, and that's able to do that continuous compliance. So it's checking through APIs whether your public cloud environments are safe from the get-go. And what that's doing is pushing security to the left. Uh, so if you think about that waterfall effect where the security used to happen at the end and go back to the beginning, we're pushing security further to the left in that SDLC process so we're able to inspect and look at the code continually so that it gets launched from the DevOps as a secure package. And of course, uh, we've got network, but understanding that network uh, is, is just one aspect of security these days. We've also got security services that allow, uh, for example, protection of the network, but if then that uh, something within the network gets sent through Office 365 and gets downloaded to endpoint, the endpoint's detected. If it gets downloaded to the mobile device, we've also got an agent which can provide protection on your mobile device as well. So, uh, AI. As I said, everybody's talking about it. Everyone's got a different opinion on it. Uh, everybody is talking about AI. But the important question is, is it magic? Um, can we trust the choices it makes? Um, well, I'd say uh, we, we, we're not really able to trust it completely just yet. Um, I don't know if anybody heard of something called Taybot. Um, it was a Microsoft chatterbot back in 2016, which was released into Twitter. To actually, it was an artificial, as I say, AI uh, chatterbot, which is designed to pretend to be a human, to get interaction with uh, fellow social media people, and then provide uh, feedback and conversation as if it was real, and they wanted to see if they could fool people into believing that it was a real person at the other end. Uh, well, unfortunately, what happened was that the uh, troll community on social media got hold of it and bombarded it with a, uh, a lot of um, uh, not very nice stuff. Uh, and it ended up that the, the Taybot got a little bit diverted and started using profanities uh, all the time. It became uh, a, a very racist uh, AI uh, bot. And in the end, after about three, four weeks, Microsoft had to take it down and basically shoot it in the head because uh, it, uh, it was actually quite disturbing. Um, also, that, that was one example, but also we have um, uh, adversarial images. So when you search for images, you can actually search for, for example, cake. And on the website, instead of uh, when you put cake in, it will bring you all the images of cake. It's not metadata on there or anything. It's actually looking for an image and it's deciding what is cake and what isn't cake. So you can search for cake. But an adversarial image is where noise is put across, uh, digital noise is put across the image, uh, invisible to the human eye, but anything trying to, it, but that white noise will fool the neural networks down below to say, ah, yeah, that's not a cake, that's actually a rifle. Uh, and, and again, that would be completely invisible. So it's quite easy to fool. Uh, another example would be with regards to um, self-driving cars. When it comes to a stop sign or a give way sign, it should be able to recognize it with its computer vision and say, that's a stop sign, let's stop. But tactically placing a sticker within that sign, uh, which doesn't obliterate it, it's just a sticker within the sign, will actually make the self-driving car ignore it and maybe drive straight through. So we can safely say it's not magic. Um, uh, so that's OK saying it's not magic, but what technology is required to make it work? What do we need? Well, the first thing we need is data, lots of data, rich data, data that is able to demonstrate the entire scope and versatility of the problem. Um, and the second thing we need is expertise. Um, 
Now, right now, it's th they're not clever enough to actually do their own learning and, uh, 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 and figure it out themselves. Maybe in 50 years' time or so, it may be. But at the minute, what they need is expertise, expertise in both the AI side of things, so somebody who's clever with the algorithm, as well as somebody who's clever with that particular domain. So, for example, if... Um, if we're doing a speech, a, some sort of AI with regard speech, what we need is a speech expert there, as well as somebody clever enough with AI to, to work through on the algorithms. If we're doing imagery, then we need somebody clever with digital imagery, as well as bringing together that somebody from the uh, expertise of the AI uh, algorithm, etc. And the same would go for cybersecurity. You would need the expert there. Um, talking about cybersecurity, um, certainly no shortage of hype again here. Um, virtually everybody is talking about it, every vendor, small or large, um, uh, AI at some level. So again, is, is maybe cybersecurity magic? Maybe our industry has found a way of bypassing all the issues that have been had in the, the, in the generic side of things, and we found a way of getting around those underlying problems that other people are failing with. So is AI security magic? Um, I'll skip to the point. It isn't. We still need the same two things, data and, and expertise. Now, the, the trouble here is that data is quite difficult because actually obtaining a security data set is, is, is not an easy thing. You can't just go and buy it off the shelf or download one. You have to gather this over a period of time, and you have to have enough, a big enough customer base and a big enough pool of information to drag into that. Um, and then the other thing about the data is that AI doesn't tell you why it made a decision. It just says there's the decision. Crack on with it. And you've got two options. You can either trust it and go, okay, I entrust you implicitly, so far, I think we realize that may be a bad idea. Uh, or you actually take each individual thing it's done and go through the same algorithms with a human, and that's impractical. And there can end up, if, if this is the case, and, uh, you, and you do trust it, you may end up with a, false, a high false detection rate. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not magic, but it is very useful. Um, and, uh, and it is. As I say, we use it ourselves in our threat intelligence uh, engines. Um, so Checkpoint um, offers to strive to provide the best security technology, and we've introduced the AI engines within our uh, threat prevention platform in, in three different capacities. So I'll just cover those now briefly. Um, the first is campaign hunting. Okay, so campaign hunting is, um, is, is being able to enrich the engine, uh, the threat prevention engine, with uh, intelligence using IOCs, indicators of compromise. Um, it's been able to... Um, um, uh, look for similarities to be able to gather all these indicators of compromise and where a human uh, expert can sit there and work through the IOCs, the actual uh, having a, an engine there as well, being able to take all this, this stuff in. Uh, for example, that um, if maybe an attacker uh, uses the same sort of uh, domain name, the, the way it's spelt, you know, domain ABC1, domain ABC2 or whatever, maybe using the same IP address, maybe there's something in there that's actually uh, th that would give them away. So rather than just blocking a single attack, we want to see what's the wider picture, how many more things can we protect by looking at the indicators of compromise and hunting down the different campaigns, what links them together, and what better way to do that within AI. Uh, and our AI engine for campaign hunting uh, is responsible for 10% of the, uh, the malicious um, uh, traffic we block these days. Uh, the second one is called Huntress. Uh, now, Huntress is responsible for uncovering malicious executables. 
Um, this is one of the toughest problems out there within uh, cybersecurity because, as you know, by nature, an executable does its own thing. It's able to launch, it's able to do stuff. How do we know it's what it's doing is malicious? How do we know what it's doing is bad? Um, fortunately, um, very few um, uh, cyber criminals actually write their own code from scratch. They will use stuff that's already been written before, bolt it together. So that's great, but actually sometimes the very sm small nuances that happen and it would be difficult for a human expert analyst to have a look at. So when we put it into our uh, sandbox environment and we, we spin it up and we explode it in there and we look at all these, we get the, I engi uh, the AI engine to have a look and piece together. So we feed in thousands and thousands of bits of information for it to make some sort of join up connection between all these different um, um, uh, activities that, that are going on to find out what is key, what is the same, what is similar. Uh, and our Huntress is, uh, has been able to um, uh, identify 13% of the executables, the malicious executables that Checkpoint have uh, recorded in the th Threat Intelligence Cloud. And finally, we have Cadet, which is the content awareness detection. Now, this is the newest one of our engines, uh, and it's being gradually introduced into the Threat Cloud. Um, this is where we harness that unique ability within that infinity, looking across endpoints, mobile, networks, cloud, uh, and bringing all that, bit, all that together. So to look, did it arrive by email? Did it arrive through the web? Who sent it? Where was the sender from, et cetera? What was the domain? And bringing all of that stuff together uh, through and feeding it into the AI engine to actually to reduce the false positives and actually speed up the detection rate of, um, of malware as well. So that's quite key, to actually bring down the false positive rate, to, 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 to limit the noise that an engine has is key. If an engine's too noisy, it won't be used in production, and it certainly won't be used for prevention. So we believe that security must be practical, okay? It's got to be able to go out there, it's got to be used sensibly. So what we do is we, we don't just put the engine out there on its own, we have the t works in conjunction with a team of analysts, and between the two of them, they bring that, those results together. So intelligent application of AI technologies is yet another reason why it comes to prevention that Checkpoint is the vendor to trust. That's it. Thank you very much. Perfect. No, not at all. I'll have my established panel of experts come up and join me. Oh, they're going to switch it up on me. Last session, they were there where they were, so now they're going to change it up on me. So, got a mic over there. Got a mic over there. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. We're, this is the second time for, for us, so we'll try and keep it a little bit interesting. My name is David Potter. I head up Arrow's Global Cybersecurity Practice out of Denver, Colorado. Get to come over here and hang out with you guys this week. So, for once, I've got the accent, and you don't. So. Uh, we're going to change it up a little bit from last time. First off, I'd like to make it a little more interactive. How many of you in the room currently have a cybersecurity practice in your organization? Okay, how many of you want to start a cybersecurity practice in your organization? Okay, so those of you that have it, great. The rest of you have no interest in it. That's, so is it because it's too difficult or is it, this is just the only session that there was? So. What's that? It's the only session. We're in the way, so that's fine. 
So it's interesting, there's, only, there's a few of you that have cybersecurity practices, and I'm going to just pretend that some of you raised your hand and said, yes, I would love to start a cybersecurity practice. So my first question then to my panel would be, if you were starting a cybersecurity practice today with the wealth of information that you have, what's the first thing that you would do in your organization to start a cybersecurity practice today? I'll start with you this time. Just to qualify, is that then from a partner perspective, one of Arrow's yeah. partner's perspective? From, yeah, if you, were, if you were a reseller today, yep. you're in the reseller, as, as a reseller, what's the first thing, you know, what pieces, parts would you do? So I think there's two or three things you need to do. It all comes back to your kind of, what is it you want to do as a, uh, a, a partner with Arrow? So you'll have an existing business and you want to grow that business potentially. A couple of things you need to do. What's adjacent to your existing business? How can you quickly reach into that space would be number one for me. Because uh, with the teams that you work with, you're going to have to take them on that journey as well. The second thing to know is that the cyber markets are huge. We've talked about this a little bit earlier today. So there is opportunity out there. And depending on where you want to grow your business, you know, it's definitely something that's top of mind. So if you want to start developing a trusted advisor relationship with some of your customers, cyber is a great place to start that because you can start elevating the conversation a, as you go up. Third thing is look at technologies that are going to help you actually generate large amounts of revenue. And also, if you have services businesses associated with that as well, what can help you drive services? All of those things will help you make an easy step into the cyber world. I try and balance it this way as well. So over here, what, what would you have done, Chris? Um, understand your customers' needs. Um, this, uh, uh, as was said, the cybersecurity market is very large. That probably means that you'll be specializing understanding which segment of that market that you're going to, uh, going to address, both with the products and services you select, um, and also the consultancy you're going to offer with your cybersecurity practice, that's absolutely critical. I would say look at what you're doing today as a starting point. You've got products and technologies that you're already selling to your customers. They already trust you to sell to them. Security isn't a standalone piece. It's there to facilitate and support the stuff you're already doing. So look at the technologies you've got, what then security products align to complement and fit with the stuff you're actually doing today, and then it will help you fast track into that as opposed to adopting security technologies that are unrelated to your existing business. Where's your pedigree? Where's your inroads to your customer? You've already got that with some products. Find what maps into them best, and then take those vendors on. I'll yeah, that leads into what I was going to say, actually, um, Holly Steele. Um, so I'm from IBM and we have a, a huge um, ecosystem of uh, different uh, solutions and products. So I would suggest that if you're a business partner, you already got a relationship with a, a larger vendor. I would suggest speaking with them and seeing what hooks they have with their current technology portfolio because they'll help you um, uh, get the capability up really, really fast. And they already have wraparound services that you can utilize. I'd also suggest that you look at their partner ecosystem that they're using already and dip your toe in by um, partnering with someone who has expertise in that space already. Um, and IBM, for example, have something called um, Business Connect, which we is like um, Tinder for business partners, um, whereby you can actually uh, <laughs> swipe right, swipe left, obviously, um, and uh, find out who you would match with first. So if you are very good at data, or you're very good at analytics, or you're very good at cloud, then I would suggest that you then have a look to see a business partner who has that competence. So maybe that you've got a a play in IBM, um, and you've got a play in AWS, and you've got a play in Microsoft. So I would go to Arrow, actually, as your channel um, distributor, and find out which other partners are doing things in that space and try and jump off the back of them. So 
I would use Arrow actually as a point of call in helping your ecosystem. I didn't pay for, for that, so excellent. You're welcome. So, so in that same kind of you know narrative on that, so now we're going to we're going to start a security practice. This will be a good thought exercise. We're going to start a security practice. We've decided we found some adjacencies that we like. Now I have to go find people, and now we've realized as a bar, as a reseller, I don't have security people, or they're catastrophically expensive because you know how to do this stuff. You command a very very fairly good salary, thankfully. So there's tools that we're hearing about. You mentioned some of them earlier with AI, machine learning. There's the automation orchestration pieces. So, you know, are you seeing possibilities or potential there for those folks who already have a security practice? You know, how do you bring in tools like AI and orchestration to both offset the skills gap and to accelerate your technology adoption? So, Mark. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of the things that, that I'm seeing that Checkpoint are getting into at the moment are actually a lot easier to put in and, and construct. If you looked at Checkpoint uh, 10 years ago, for example, and you had to put together some gateway cluster with the hardware and clustering, <laughs> and, and there's a lot of expertise required there and networking. However, working with, um, uh, as I say, our Dome 9 acquisition, then it's, a mu it's, it's, it's much more simpler to run up a PO POC, get the integration there through an API, sign in with the username of, uh, uh, and account details and credentials, and then you can actually then provide that security without the investment in uh, hardware and, uh, and software, it literally through APIs. The automation side of things is also making things a lot easier. So, um, um, However, the, the easiness from deployment also still adds complication with regards to you know w working with AIs and working with APIs. You have to still understand that as well. So you should also look to um, relying on you know, uh, again. I'll, I'll put the plug in for Arrow myself now. Uh, looking for to where you can get those expertise skills and and, and, and your distributor will add val will give you value add as well with regards to either their own um, uh, personnel or even reach through the through to the vendor and provide the skills as well. Uh, just keep it simple. So uh, go for low-hanging fruits. Cloud adoption, it's huge. It's going to be even larger next year, and it's growing exponentially. So look at that as a low-hanging fruit. Uh, partner with some vendors that can give you more than one technology, because then you're getting value from that relationship. Um, so at Symantec, we're fortunate we've got a very broad portfolio that covers 50-odd products, um, which is ridiculous. But And we're growing weekly, and I mean weekly through acquisitions. Um, so it's, it's just all about keeping things simple. Cloud's great. Get there ahead of the cloud story with your clients and with, with, with the clients that you already service. They're going to be on the cloud journey if they're not already. They're, they're, they will be planning for it. So look to help them enable their business. So embed security into, into their solutions. So if they're doing cloud adoption, it might be that you have a CASB that enables that technology or, or you, you, you secure cloud workloads. And, and what that enables you to do is have the discrete areas of the business go off and innovate as they want to do. So finance can go off and buy a finance package and, and you can adopt salesforce.com or whatever they want to do. But you, the security team at your clients will know that those solutions are secured by default because you've got those controls in there already. So it's all about helping the business grow. And if you can get security ahead of that conversation, you become an enabler for that business. So. We'll kind of, I like this narrative where it's going. So now we've, we've picked a few things in our portfolio. We're selling a firewall, we're selling some endpoint, we're selling some cool things. Now I've got customers that are getting savvier, we're getting deeper in their organizations. So now they're saying, okay, great. So David, you've sold me all this stuff. I've got this thing and that thing and this thing. What do I do with it? I've got all this stuff. What are some of the things that you guys see as areas 
for existing VARs that can improve on? What are some of the things that we're not doing well? Where are some low-hanging fruit to kind of pick up on that that we should be looking more at? I'm yeah, Please. absolutely. So I think one of the things as an industry in security we're not great at is actually we make lots and lots and lots of point solutions, right? So there's lots and lots of things out there today that a customer, one of your customers, could actually go and select, and there's lots of competitive things they could go and select. I spend a lot of my time actually going around a lot of organizations who use Splunk for security all over Europe, you know, helping them build SOC capabilities or even basic SIM capabilities. And the key thing is about integration, right? You know, when you start looking at a customer one of your customers who's already um, already bought a number of technologies, they need to integrate, and that's the key phrase, I think, here. I think the industry itself, all of us here, IBM, Semantics, Citrix, everybody, are looking to actually increase the amount of collaboration across that, but you need a technology platform that allows you to integrate into existing investments. If you can do that, you can build your own business, and you can actually help the customer get much more value and visibility into what they're doing now, but also in the future as well, I think. Chris? And building off that, uh, automation. Um, one limiting factor that customers have is just um, having the people to take advantage of the technology they've already got, got deployed. If you have a great cybersecurity practice, that can leverage the investments that customers have already made. As you said, integrating systems together, but also doing that without having to need extra people to run it for them. Please, yes. We have learned in the last hour that Holly is not shy. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, I would also like to add to that. It's, it's all about, it's not just um, uh, the, the ecosystem, it's how that organization you're going to partner with um, works that ecosystem. So what's the collaboration they have? Um, and and uh, James mentioned that already. So, uh, uh <laughs> and, um, and it's not just that, it's like how do you actually um, train people on that ecosystem, not just your um, vendor ecosystem that you're actually engaged with. And I think that that's where um, you guys come into play, uh, actually being the specialists as the value-added resellers, and you can actually add a lot of competence in that space. But it's our, our duty as a vendor um, and one of care to make sure that you have that um, ability and, and you're armed with the right resources in order to train your teams and actually be able to deliver in the marketplace to your end users, because that's the most important thing. So it's all about the kind of education point um, not just on your particular vendor technology, but also on that integration and how that works in the open ecosystem that we have now. And I think helping your customers bridge their own internal gaps and challenges that they'll have. I mean, Mark mentioned DevOps earlier and touched on DevSecOps. So we're starting to see stuff where people are adopting agile methodologies to roll out and develop applications and push them out faster. Those guys have got to work quick then they get caught up with corporate politics around how they've done stuff, what they've done, moving it into live. So they have challenges themselves where they have departments doing different things and then butting heads against each other. So you need find to find ways of using either technology or using the skills within your own businesses to help them get communication across security, operations, dev, bring it all together because ultimately they're looking to deliver applications and push out updates at a rate they've never had to do before, and anything you can do to smooth the wheels of that then adds value from you as a reseller. Can I be a bit controversial? Please. <coughs> so the way you make money is by selling large deals. And you sell large deals by bundling lots of products together to meet a client's demand. And that might mean someone from a VAR getting in with a client, 
and actually being their trusted advisor, it's a horrible phrase, but it's true, getting in with them to understand what their landscape looks like. What renewals have they got coming up? Um, what can you displace? What are they not happy with? What projects have they got coming up in 12 months, 24 months? And that's how we're seeing building big deals and our partners making the most money off those deals mm -hmm. by consolidating down the number of vendors they choose. And it, it might be multiple vendors from Avar, but predominantly with larger vendors that can do more technologies, but also integrated technologies. So it could be you use Symantec for a new number of products, but also our platform that allows our products to talk to each other without APIs. But then you link it through to meet a business requirement, which is greater time to, time to detect and time to respond. So you bring in Splunk as a partner. You add orchestration, so you bring in uh, Phantom to do that for you on top of the platform, or IBM. God, sorry, I get in trouble. I think you can't reach me from there. <laughs> yeah. um, so so you're, you're, you're layering these technologies on top of each other, and you're solving business problems for the client, but also you're expanding your uh, access to the account all the time. And that's how we're seeing um, 30, 40, 50 million dollar pure technology deals come through. Um, because the, the, it meets the client's goal. Yep. They want simplification. They don't want 40, 50 vendors. They can't manage those contracts. And I think that, that plays into back to the theme of, of this is around you know, AI and IoT especially, right? So we've talked about, and it's a wildly, another overused phrase, is the whole block and tackling thing. Perimeter defense, endpoint defense, it's boring, really, let's be honest, but we gotta have it. In preparation for these new massive deployments that are these big ticket items like AI projects, like IoT projects, you know, so it's a, a twofold question. You can take either side of it. Our customer networks and our are is the reseller community ready to do large scale IoT deployments slash AI networking? And if yes, then I'm going to say you're wrong. Um, secondly, is how do you how do we get our customers ready for large-scale AI and IoT deployments. You know, we got to have the underpinning. So, how do we get there? So, we've seen at IBM recently our business partners, in the same way as vendors, have started collaborating. And so, actually, yes, they are starting to do that. So, I may be wrong, but they're doing it in a collaborative way um, because no one uh, business partner or no one um, uh, yeah, has has a solution. So, they're actually coming together and they're creating solutions together. And they're actually creating framework agreements with one another, which is really interesting. That's, a new, that's something new we're seeing within IBM. It's really complex. And you've got one business partner leading a deal. And they're roping in, or not roping, that's the wrong word, but <laughs> engaging other business partners into that uh, deal, whereby someone's got uh, competence in IoT, someone else has got competence in security intelligence, someone else has got competence in you know, whatever it might be, blockchain, and they're actually creating solutions together. So that's not actually coming from the vendors, that's actually coming from the business partners ecosystem. And it's not just around technology, it's actually around solutions. So that's a change in the market that IBM is seeing, certainly. Um, I, I think like, like most things, um, as, as I sort of like said earlier on, with regards to technical and technology and innovations, it, people tend to go ahead straight away and dive into that without actually thinking about the security till afterwards, you know. So I think that people are already uh, looking at perhaps IoT and looking at a AI, um, but actually more of a connected type thing. It's um, how do we connect, how do we make things really cool, how do we make one thing talk to another. Um, so. So the actual, obviously we're, we're, we're in the security breakout here, so um, to actually get these things secure, is actually that's, that's quite a difficult thing to do. When, when we talked about earlier on hundreds of thousands of devices all connected, how do, they, how do you secure that? When all they've got is, is the minimum uh, amount of RAM or CPU power to do what their job is. So it's not gonna be able to put some massive piece of um, uh, security code on there to protect it. 
So uh, I think it's a case of, of, of being prepared and getting ready. Um, with Checkpoint, we're already t thinking about nano agents, which are going to be small agents which fit onto these IoT devices to do the basic s levels of security, what can be done with the resources we have, and then offloading it to uh, other devices to do the heavy lifting, to do the content inspection, etc. So I think it's just it's being prepared, getting ready, starting to think about it, start thinking about the security before it's a case of, right, it's all deployed and we've got an incident, now what are we doing? take a very simple view of it, what's any IT device? It's a CPU that talks back to an application using API calls to share data. The matter that there's millions of them is relatively irrelevant. They're talking back to a central point to communicate and they're using an open API channel. So you need to start looking at the technologies around that will facilitate and secure that and basing that on machine-to-machine -machine communications, not on what currently a lot of the technologies are based on, which is human interactions into these things. They're going to be working differently, so we need to secure them differently to start looking around things around API gateways and people who are looking to sort of build out these things. Where we're seeing it, IoT and spanning out is, is the starter, but actually probably the bigger opportunity in the short term for multiple projects is business-to-business -business communications that are doing exactly the same thing, system-to-systems between business partners. It's exactly the same as, as IoT, it's just a different device that's talking in. So do you think our partner community, by and large, and more focused on the end-user community, do they have a good concept of what good data security means, what that actually means? We say security as a, as a and we sell things, right? Or we talk about it being a process, and that's easy to say, but do you think the end users really understand what it is they're securing? What do they care about and, and how do they really secure that? Or do we just keep throwing stuff at the problem? Yeah, this, is, uh, this can be tricky. And it's tricky because customers have got different risk appetite. And even within uh, a customer, you may have different departments, different parts of the organization which have got different risk appetite. Those conversations can be extremely illuminating, not just for you, but also for the customers themselves when they have those internal discussions. Absolutely. You guys comment on that, thoughts on that, or you don't care? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna answer that question. I think the, th the threats and the challenges are gonna constantly evolve and change. So throwing stuff at it, unfortunately, we'll, al we'll always throw stuff at it because the stuff will always change. Right. But we need to throw stuff in a smarter way. And I think that's where more automation uh, AI, it's not really AI, it's just machine learning, it's just statistical analysis. We see that in most technologies. I think everyone probably up here has platforms that are doing it to a lesser or a greater degree. It's taking away tasks that would take a person a very long time to do today and making it automated. The classic examples are in SOCs. SOC analysts are very rare resources, very expensive, takes a long time to skill them up. It also takes them a long time to dig into what's happened and root cause everything. The more that can be automated or, or where data can be crunched using AI platforms that IBM produce, algorithms that are done within Splunk or in the other, or within the security devices like F5 for our behavioral DDoS or into your sandboxing that look at what's happening and then automatically react to that so it doesn't have to be done by a person. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the focus has to be on data as, as we move on to cloud adoption and we, we actually, uh, the underlying technical systems become irrelevant and where data lives become becomes irrelevant, whether it's on-premise in the cloud, who's accessing it from which device. So the focus moves on to identity 
and then data protection. So obviously, most of us have solutions around data protection, uh, DLP solutions, user behavior analytics solutions. So the focus becomes on not just the user and who they are, but what activities they're taking. So are they, have they suddenly moved from uh, their home office in the UK and they're accessing from China? Well, that's not a behavior that is typical for that user. Um, do they work in marketing? Why are they downloading finance databases if, they're, if they belong to a marketing group? So the market will evolve as data evolves. Um, the solutions are there, actually. A lot, a lot of the solutions are there. It's, it's again, integrating them and, and providing a solution for the business challenge in a, in a simple fashion. But the problem is data protection isn't simple. No. We all know DLP is probably the most complicated solution that you have to feed and water on a daily basis to get the best out of it. Yep. And it's even more when, you, when identity comes into that and behavior analysis comes into that and encryption comes into that, it gets over really, really complicated. Uh, yeah, I'll just to wrap that up as well. You know, Splunk's a data analytics platform, so I'll tell a little story perhaps. Um, one of the things, I think we've all got really good points around this, right? But for, for us, it's all about the data, right? The data strategy will drive the security strategy. And I am seeing a, a shift within the market as well, because as we start elevating up and as we start driving more IoT or AI-based projects or data understanding-based projects, that's when we can start actually utilizing security in a much better way. So we can leverage collaboration across all the technologies we've got, but we can also then start elevating security up within the organization. The questions that come down from CXO level organizations are, are we safe, are we secure? To anybody working in security, that's a really hard question. Sounds really simple, really, really hard. So how do we elevate the data up? We'll get better visibility and actually make use of it. So when we have got these major large-scale data projects that we need to manage, how can we do it in an effective way that's, from a partner perspective, gives you an opportunity to reuse that data, reuse your position, and drive something very effective? So this will, so I'm going to use you as a segue. So this is, again, the interactive part of the program, which leads into my next co topic. Show of hands again, which means, yes, you have to pay attention at this point. How many of you here in the UK, I know we do it, some of us do in the States, do an annual, like, security review on your infrastructure? You have to go in and, like, take a test or do something like that and have to say, I certified that I did this thing. Yeah. Now, how many of you think, of, oh, so keep your hands raised. How many of you think and keep that you actually have a clue about your, your company's security posture? Yeah. So I would say that for us, that means that we have a better job to do around education. And it's the conversation we had a little bit is, does the responsibility for security lie back with the supplier? or you know, like NF5, a Splunk, an IBM, whoever, or do we need to do better education to the end user community? Because this, this you're, and you're not unusual by any, and I picked on some of you, but that, that is a, a very representative sampling. So what do you guys think about that? Do we need to do a better job making it simpler, or do we need to do a better job educating? And Holly, you're up. So I think as an industry, we have a massive skill shortage, which suggests we need to do some more education. Um, IBM have been doing some really, really strategic work with NCSC, and we've actually, and not just education, but also diversity, and that goes for, you know, um, all, all, all walks of life, women as well. And we've done some amazing, amazing um, uh, work with NCSC, and we've actually um, uh, educated a thousand schoolgirls uh, in the space. And I think, I think we need to go to grassroots in the same way as football goes to grassroots. We as an industry need to go to grassroots, and we haven't been doing that very well because 
for some reason, um, you know, if you read in the news uh, recently in the BBC, it was saying that um, computer, you know, computer degrees, computer courses are going down. And we've got to ask ourselves why that is. And it's, it's up to us, I think, as a community. Um, we are responsible for driving the excitement in our industry and not turning young people off, and particularly women as well. Because um, actually, this room's better than last time because there are probably three women in the whole crowd. So welcome and thank you. Um, <laughs> So I think it's really important to, to be driving this initiative. We've also at IBM um, re-educating people as well, so reskilling people. So we're doing a lot of stuff with Salute My Job. So we've been working with um, uh, government agencies and armed forces, um, ex-military personnel who already have security certifications. Um, they're really, really um, needing to be um, redeployed in, in areas of, of um, where they'll find it of interest. And security is security, cybersecurity is the best is a brilliant place for them because you know, they still get to keep their secrets, they still get to look at threats, and we are the fourth defense within the industry. And so much so that we even talk about boom, right? We talk about the boom factor when it talks about when we have a breach. So we boom in the same way as a terrorist attack booms. So, you know, we are talking their language as an industry, and we should try and recruit more people in this space. Can, can I just add that? I'll try and be quick as well. This You're time. fine. No, so no, no, uh, uh, no, that wasn't the case for you at all, Holly. So I think there's two points. Education's absolutely key, right? Um, we need to provide to the wider field prescriptive guidance, right? One of the things that's not great within the, uh, within the industry today is actually there's so many different uh, frameworks, so many different things you can look at. There's different ways of implementing things. Uh, we need to help people get a much more clear out on what are, what are the best and the quickest and the easiest ways to go and do that. Our second thing, to your point, Holly, absolutely on the money. I think in encouraging people by taking a leadership position is absolutely key. So just in within Splunk, just as an example, our SVP of security uh, in the States is, is a lady. Our chief uh, revenue officer is a lady. And we're very much into inclusivity in, in all forms. And I think those are the things that we can do to make an impact and a difference. Just a little bit of a different take as well. We need to be more innovative and we need to be more flexible. So. Uh, I'm a strong believer in neurodiversity, so um, my son's got ADHD and a bit of dyslexia as well, and you'll find a lot of people with autism or ADHD will be some of the best analysts you could ever imagine. Now, they might not have the greatest social skills, and you might have to be flexible to adapt your working environment. So one of our partners that run their own managed services, um, they have basically analysts working from home, and they join video conferencing for team meetings, but they wouldn't go into an office at all. They are some of the most valued employees that organization has. So it's all about us being a little, think a little bit outside the box. Inclusive, flexible, and that's the way we will meet those challenges of, of staff shortages and learning around it. I think from um, the, the education side of things, um, something that I always have in the back of my mind is that um, the security is usually about technology, but it's always about people. You can have the best security technology out there and then you find somebody who will find a way around it or need to do something or find some shadow IT to figure out how to get around it. Uh, and I think um, you need to include um, users rather than exclude them. So if, if you're stopping them going somewhere, uh, you need to say why they can't go there. If you're stopping them sending a document, you can't just stop it and say, uh, it just get a message saying your, your document's been blocked. You have to explain why that is. So including them in there with valuable information which feeds back to the end user to educate them as, be as the data is being controlled. And, and that moves security away from being a, a blocker, the bad guy, into being uh, able to a business enabler. They can still do what they need, but they, need they know the behavior they need to change in order to do that. 
Um, uh, but also technology still lies in there because humans being humans, we're, we, we try to be helpful. You know, so somebody says, please, please click this link. It's really important. We'll have a go. Or somebody says, uh, oh, by the way, you've won a load of money. You go, okay, let's have a look. You know, so you, you still have to get around that with some sort of technology. So you can use technologies to strip out malicious links, to strip out malicious content from documents and provide that document to them in a neutered way that has no malicious content in there. We don't know whether it was malicious, but it's, it doesn't matter. It's a case of, right, here you go, here's a document, it's safe. So we're gonna, we got five minutes, we're gonna wrap up because I wanna ask you all this question, a, kind of a variation on a theme from before. So switching out of our role playing that we were, back to your normal, your day jobs now. So when you're talking to your customers, whether that's you know, a large enterprise or some of the channel partners on here, what are some of the things, what's the one thing, and you know, we gotta go through all of us before we wrap up here, what's the one thing that you would go in and tell these customers to do today to improve their security practices? We'll start with you on the end. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So Mark, start us off. I can't hear you. Sorry, we're talking to, do you say customers? We're yeah. Into, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I, I suppose leading back to, the, to, the, to what I was just discussing, you, you know, make sure that the education piece is there. You get the processes right, you get the technology right, and you get the education back to the end users. Uh, make sure that when they, you know, when that, when whatever their business is, get them to focus on right, what is it that's key to you as a business, as an end user? What is it that makes you money? And make sure, have a think about, is that safe? Is that protected? Will you still be able to do that business? Perfect. I think understand what they have and what the critical business processes are. There's stuff that can be seen that's not a threat, that becomes a massive threat for them. There's a whole host of breaches you can poke around and look at that come through third party or innocuous systems. The casino that got hacked and robbed through the thermostat that was in the fish tank that was in the lobby. That hotel where the door entry key system got hacked. So they locked everyone out of their rooms. Now that's not taking down the business is not you could say but the critical business process if a, someone can't get in a hotel room then they're not going to pay for their hotel room Trust so by default they've done that ransomware that stops a distribution company being able to load stuff on the truck it's not taking down the system but then they can't load the trucks yep. so they need to understand what they have and how it affects their whole business process as opposed to focusing on ah that's my customer database i need to wrap everything around that understand everything that makes up their critical business processes. Agreed. Uh, yeah, just um, really quick. So I spend a lot of time with organizations who are, are kind of building out uh, security operations capability. And, and the one thing that kind of always, um, always gets me is the fact you need to build a roadmap um, because security is continuous improvement. There's never an end to it. So you can decide what is your first outcome, what is your second outcome, and what is your third, and then work with partners uh, to actually try and reach those outcomes. That way you're constantly building maturity and that takes into all the things we've talked about. That takes into things like understanding your threat profile, what's important to your business, and actually really importantly, how do you speak and talk to the business? How do you articulate what you're doing as a security capability? Yep, agreed. Holly? We were just wondering what the question was again. <laughs> so what's the one thing that you would tell your customers today on um, the one simple thing to improve their, their business. Okay, so, okay, I'll pass. <laughs> I would, I would, um, I would say, um, look at the data. Um, it's all about data. Um, that's the, that's the cash today. Data is cash. Data is king. It's all about data integrity. It's knowing where the data is, who has access to data, um, and, and, and it, it's data. So, I mean, just on a, 
you know, on a come to our stand and have a look. But if you are actually changing, if you hack a hospital, for example, it's not about systems going down, sorry, or IoT devices, or you know, not being able to get into the surgical wards. It's actually about the prescriptions being changed. So it's all about data, okay? Because that's where the key problem is, um, and and it's all about data. Perfect. I agree with all of these guys, so I'm going down my list. Is the thing. Um, data's a good one. Um, I, I think I was, I was choosing between think holistically uh, is one, but I'll leave that one. And th th I think probably a little bit more importantly, if you're talking to someone in a security practice of the client, CISO or, or, or below, um, think how you can enable the business to grow. So stop trying to chase your tail in security have a look at what is the next steps that need to be secured and how you can enable those. Where the business is going, is it going into a new market? Are, is, does, does the business have an appetite to bring operational technology with inside IT and security? Um, start thinking about what your recruitment requirements will be to do that, or what sort of technologies you'd need to onboard. Are you gonna adopt the cloud because you're, you've got a cloud architect that's gonna join in six months time? So how do you get ahead of that conversation? How do you enable those conversations? Because if you don't, you will be left behind like you have been in the past because they've had enough of you saying no all the time and they'll just circumvent you. So finance will go off and buy a finance app and you won't be involved in it. So make some key investments in technology early so you can enable people to go off and innovate on their own. Chris, sage words. Conversation with the customer and uh, that conversation, there's a business guy in the room and there's a technical guy in the room. Ask the business guy what are the risks that you're worried about? Then ask the technical guy, what have you done about them? I wouldn't be quite as blunt as that maybe, but again, the results from that conversation may uncover some interesting gaps that are opportunities for you. Perfect, well don't go anywhere. We are gonna now change into the format where everybody gets a little bit of time to highlight their own stuff. So thanks panelists, we'll all step down and, and Holly, you have the stage first. It's a larger tent than it seems. So um, my name's Holly Steele. I'm from IBM Security. Everyone is now leaving. So uh, sorry about that, guys. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to talk a little bit about IBM quickly. Um, I haven't got long. So why IBM? So many people um, see IBM as this uh, monolithic uh, organization, which is right. It is. Uh, but with that, uh, we, have, um, we have the opportunity for innovation, and we have the funds to innovate. So for example, um, what people don't realize is that um, these are some amazing uh, future battles that we've got here, like uh, post-quantum cryptography from quantum. Um, and where that comes from is all the research and development that we do. So IBM have seven research and development facilities just around security globally, which is amazing. Um, we, have, uh, we did 9,000 patents last year. Uh, 1,400 plus of those were actually in security. So if you're thinking about actually the future and investing in different types of technologies and different vendors, um, IBM is nice and bright and shiny, um, and, uh, and, and you should treat it as a startup because the innovation coming out of IBM is, is better than a startup for the following reasons, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So, uh, we saw this slide already actually from Momentum um, Cyber, so uh, I can't claim credit for it, none of us can here. Um, it's a brilliant research. So, um, the reason I bring this slide up is, is again to, to make the point around. Um, how many vendors there are in the marketplace today and how we have to integrate with all these different vendors. 
um, and how you have to make choices. You guys have uh, uh, flooded with all these different vendors coming to you saying, sell my product, integrate my product, bring a solution with my product. And it's really hard for you because it's just too much to look at and it's just probably quite stressful, frankly. So um, my advice would be to actually look at a vendor like IBM Security and actually decide which battles you're going to fight, and we have an open um, architecture. We integrate with many of these vendors already, um, and um, it will allow you to then be able to deliver your, your customer solutions to your organization. So it's all about having an open ecosystem that your customers have already invested in and how you can actually apply your solutions and technologies on top. And that's the important message here. So IBM have done a lot of work here. We work very much with Cisco. We've actually integrated our... Um, X-Force Exchange Threat Intelligence Platform with uh, Talos. So you can see that when it comes to collaboration, IBM at the forefront there. We work with uh, you know, what people consider competitors like Splunk. We work with Symantec, uh, Checkpoint. Everyone on this stage actually is a partner of IBM. You might consider them competitors. They are not competitors. The competitors are the bad guys. We are here as a collaboration um, form. And we need to do that as an as a industry and organization. Oh, oh, hello. Now, um, the reason I'm talking about this is because it's, um, let's talk about your ecosystem. So we're here to talk to you today, um, our channel partners. And IBM, we talked about Trusted Advisor as well, so you've kind of stolen a few bits and bobs here, so thanks, guys. Um, so we have a, you guys have all the Trusted Advisor relationships. IBM actually only go direct to 80 accounts, generally, uh, within IBM security. So within last year, we made a massive change. We s did a step change. Um, we're a channel-focused business. We did seven, over 70% of our revenue was through the channel when it comes to software. So we're here to support you guys. And whereby you don't have the, um, the competence, um, uh, competence is a bad word probably, but you, know, you don't have the ability. Um, we have, trusted, uh, we have uh, partners that you can back off onto. So you've got the relationship with the end user. We've got the partners. And I talked earlier about kind of Tinder for business partners. It's called IBM Business Connect. Arrow can also do a brilliant job at matching you with the right partners. They have the ability as well that IBM don't have in order to match you with their Microsoft ecosystem or a different ecosystem whereby you have a, a brilliant um, uh, proposition in that space, but you might want to take security into that marketplace. So IBM can match you with those partners. We've got many of them here today where they provide security intelligence as a service, as a managed service, and we'd like to introduce you to them because that for us is a quick way for you to make some, some headway in this marketplace, especially with the skills shortage we have. The other thing to mention is um, when you're choosing a vendor, you need to think about what's, what's the support you're going to get. So we have uh, the most amazing learning academy at IBM. So when you buy a car, you need to know how to drive it. There's no point buying shiny some, something shiny and new with loads of tech if you don't actually know how to drive it. And it's all about getting your sales organization up and running and driving. So IBM have the facility to do that. Also, um, that's through our Learning Academies. So come and talk to us about that with our sales toolkits and Learning Academies, and we can give you some really quick insights. And Mark Hiljard here um, today will we'll help with that. Uh, community tools. IBM, again, we're all about the community. We're a collaboration organization. We're open, um, and we have a huge community, and it's really important that we come together as an industry with our business partners, with our you know, ecosystem partners. Finally, uh, we have the most amazing finance uh, <laughs> tooling, which I was saying earlier, I wish they'd mortgage my house because it's like 0%. It's crazy. Um, so um, when it comes to cash flow, you guys, you have to think about cash flow. So, you know, come and talk to IBM because we can help with your cash flow through our global finance offerings. And on top of that, um, we have the most incredible margin stack. So um, come and talk to us about margin. We have uh, a crazy margin stack. It's been listed as the, the top margin um, 
organisation currently today. Um, and come and see us on stand 33 to see our um, hospital attack. We've got a, a demo on how you can actually um, attack uh, you know, a, a hospital. Um, and it's all about data integrity. So come and talk to us about that. And it's doing it through uh, traditional, like not through malware means, but through actually you know, uh, tools that have been approved within organisations. You know that are running on Windows. So, uh, so you know, come and come and talk to us about that because it's exciting. Thank you. The future of work is here. The future of work is people-centric. The future of work is going to be more mobile. It's going to be more collaborative. It's going to be more fluid. And it's also going to be more complicated. And that means new challenges for security. Why is the future of work different? Well, it's the reason that businesses are different, that organizations are different. Uh, it's digital disruption. Digital disruption has affected the way that people work. Globalization, it's about the fight for talent, acquiring it and keeping it. And that could be anywhere in the world. It's about empowered customers. Empowered customers, these could be consumers who interact with organizations the way they want, uh, or it could be business to business with rapidly reconfigured supply chains. It could be the role that different business models take. Um, one of my friends is working in the, in the fintech industry, and his, uh, his aim is to upend the way that insurance works for individuals. Now, these changes mean that you have to look at security in a different way. And that means, as well as making sure you deliver security that protects users, that protects the organization, but does not affect productivity, you also have to deal with all of the issues on this slide here. So uh, again, a show of hands, how many people have at least two of the issues on the list there on the right? I see quite a few hands there. So this was based on a, uh, on a piece of research that, that we did a couple of years ago. And that's what led us to construct a new security architecture, which looks like this. So on the left, you see users getting a unified experience. Users should not need to know where the data resides, whether it's in the cloud or on-premise. Users should not need to know whether the apps that they're using, the cloud-based apps or on-premise apps, and the apps that are deliver delivered to them may vary according to the context of use. If you're working out of a high-risk location or if you're using a less trustworthy device, then maybe you don't have access to certain types of data or maybe you don't have access to particular types of, uh, 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 types of application sensitive ones. Also depending on the context of use, we can give an improved user experience. For example, by moving payloads from on-premise to the cloud or even back again. That's the point of view the user takes. From the IT and networking side, yes, okay, they get exposed to all this complexity, but what they need here is simplified a single point of control the ability to be able to roll out new apps, 
new services to their users with minimal impact, something that doesn't require redeployment of any components within the system. And underpinning all of this is secure analytics. Because to be able to protect the organization, you need to know what normal looks like. And what normal looks like is going to vary between individual users. So a cloud-based service which analyzes users' behavior and can detect any deviation from that, that's the point that gives you early warning that something bad may be going on. So, the future of security, people-centric. This is working off what you know rather than what you don't know. Maybe you can't predict all the attacks that you may be seeing in years to come, but you certainly know who your users are, and based on the analytics, you can learn what normal behavior looks like. If all your apps are made available to users through a single digital workspace, that single point of control is where policy can be applied. Policy for different groups of users. Ask your customers, where are the high risks? Is it people handling sensitive data? Is it the board? Is it administrators? We have solutions for all of these. And the idea here of having doors and locks, stopping things happening, that's not always the right thing to do. Sometimes the user needs permission to do something. What you need to be able to do is to detect when something is about to go wrong and then stop it. This is people-centric security for the future of work. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm going to make this um, really brief. I know we're heading towards the end of the session. Quick show of hands. Who actually either knows or have used Splunk? One, quite a few in the audience. Thank you very much. Okay. So we've spoken about a lot of the trends uh, currently in cybersecurity. So I want to touch on a couple of key things and why it's a really good idea to partner with Splunk uh, when it comes to thinking about security. Um, the key thing for, for all of us today is that data is going to explode, and we know this. Uh, it's going to happen everywhere, whether it be through cloud, on-premise solutions, whether it be through IoT and lots of other different areas. Data will actually be driven by our strategies, uh, and our security strategy will be driven by our data as well going forward. One of the things I'd recommend everybody to download is a new report from Splunk which talks about data uh, and actually dark data, and the fact that most of the data in every organization is unusable in many ways, shape, or forms. So what the platform around Splunk really tries to do is actually help organizations make sense and get better insight into their data. And this is really, really relevant when it comes to security. So we've talked about some of those key trends in terms of the data actually driving the security strategy. We've talked about key things such as actually more automation, AI techniques that can be applied to data to actually help us with our cybersecurity. However, what I'm really going to focus on now is why Splunk is a good idea for organizations who want to actually build their business uh, around security. The first thing is we're moving into this new age where data will become everything. So having the ability to ingest any form of machine-readable data, existing firewall data or security control information, but also IoT information, will be absolutely key, and that's what we can do with Splunk. The second area is that we need to be able to ask different questions of that data to actually help with our security processes. So working with organizations from all over Europe, we find that's absolutely critical. We need to know the answer to when the cyber attack happened, 
What is the context? Who did it affect? And what do I actually go and tell the CXO? In addition to that, the application of all different types of new technology would be AI, machine learning, or automation can be applied through the platform as well in a very much a collaborative and open, open ecosystem. So for us at Splunker, it's really criti critical that we can actually make use of all the data within the organization. In terms of our portfolio as well, I want to kind of build upon that. At our very heart is the data analytics engine, which results in data-driven security. On top of that, we build a number of solutions, some of them open sourced and being part of the community, some of them built by Splunk. One of our leading solutions is one of the market-leading SIM solutions called Enterprise Security. This gives the ability to actually map back into security processes for all sides of organizations uh, and to actually help understand, prioritize, detect using advanced analytics. We then take that a little bit further by applying different types of machine learning as well. One of our solutions is something called UEBA, and that allows us to actually apply and surface anomalies throughout the organization, very much focused on behavior analysis. We can then actually stitch that together in multiple layers of ML to surface threats. And finally, a recent acquisition from Splunk is in, was called uh, Phantom, and this is all about orchestration. So when we think about security for Splunk, it's really about those key areas, detection, analytics, being able to investigate and to automate across the entire stack. But what does that mean from a partner community perspective? I want to leave you with three key areas. One, Splunk and security particularly is a journey for all organizations. Your business and also the customers that you serve may be actually very low maturity security or very high maturity. However, we can serve across that entire stack. The other really interesting USP for Splunk is that we can actually serve security, but also areas like IT operations, IoT, fraud, compliance, and lots of other areas. That allows you to invest in a partner technology that helps you grow your business in lots of different areas. Secondly, market leadership. Being one of the leaders in the security operations space allows you, if you partner with Splunk, to actually take a market-leading best-of-breed technology to market. One that allows you to actually open up the conversations and have uh, a much better opportunity of winning business with your customers. Thirdly, we've talked about this collaboration and ecosystem. Every organization that you serve will actually have a range of technology in place. You will also sell solutions into, the, into those organizations. By having the ability to integrate strongly, you can actually provide a, a very strong glue to tie them together for your customers and their end customers as well. One of the things we found with Splunk is that actually when organizations partner uh, with Splunk, they can actually sell for every single dollar of Splunk technology over $6 of hardware and additional services. So it's a really good revenue generator for everybody. So with that, let me kind of leave, leave you with the concept that actually the future is really about data and having the ability to drill into that dark data, uncover it for security use cases. With Splunk, you've got the opportunity to grow opportunity to actually partner with a leading provider in the market, but also to actually grow your revenue through services and additional supporting capability. Come and speak to us today. We're situated just over there. Thank you very much. Right, graveyard shift for me, so I'll make it quick. So the reoccurring theme we've had over the last, what, hour and a bit, and I've heard a lot sitting around, is data. And data is the key to everything, and data is the future. And whilst I agree, I would change that slightly, and I'd say, actually, 
it's the application. Data's great, but that's either driven by, created, or used by the application. So without an application to mine, look at, leverage that. Okay, so on that premise, we believe at F5 that we're now entering what we started calling the age of application capital, where values of businesses are based on their application as opposed to the resources they have, the machinery they use, or even the people they employ. And that's really being facilitated and driven by another great term we hear a lot of at the moment, digital transformation. What realistically is digital transformation, you know, besides a buzzword? So I've had a great ex example and experience of that earlier on today. So my wife yesterday applied for her settled status for the UK, which she did via an app on an Android device where she took one picture, typed in one number, and hovered it over her passport. And she received an email this morning saying that the whole thing had been approved and the application is done. When was the last time anyone applied for anything in the government that was that easy and took that short amount of time? Applications are key, and digital transformation is driving that. Where does F5 sit in that equation? How do you as a partner make money out of that? What would you sell to your customer, and why would they need it to facilitate that DX journey or to deliver that application? So it was nice and simple before. There were some users sat on a closed network talking to one or two applications. But then those users started becoming remote, started moving around. We started engaging with our customers over the internet or over direct access into applications and systems. Then those applications and systems decided to get up and move. And they went out to the cloud or they went out to a hosting center or they went to a managed service or a SaaS. And this is ever increasing at the moment. This is facilitating things. It's much easier to stand up services in a cloud environment in terms of time to market and experimentation than to invest in hardware, get it in, install it, configure it, and so on. But then the communications for that traffic. If we look at all the stats, I think the average is now is about 75, 80% of all traffic is encrypted. So if all of that traffic is encrypted that's coming from your users and your customers who are wherever, to your applications and services which are wherever, you need a way to be able to look at that traffic, inspect it, and make sure that it's good traffic, not bad traffic. Or to help your operations teams by orchestrating that traffic through a central device that can then send it off to, as we saw, the myriad of other security controls that are out there. So we can do that with our SSL orchestration platform. We can take the head the heavy lifting off of your applications or off of your firewalls or off of your other inspection devices by doing the decrypt on our platform. But I said, the application's key. And our heritage has been in app delivery, ensuring that when the user hits that button, submits that application, takes that picture and uploads it to the system, it works. Because if it doesn't work, it's fairly pointless. And we know that consumers now, is it a website, if you click buy and it doesn't work, or it doesn't load, I think it's three seconds before you go elsewhere. Has to be available, it has to work first time, it has to work every time, wherever you as a user are. So we can do that with all of our application delivery services. But then we have those remote users. We have those IoT devices we've talked about. We have business-to-business -business API integrations. We need to be able to provide access to third parties into our systems, but we need to do it securely. 
So remote access control, be that for people or machines or devices, needs to be something that we can consider. And again, we have a play in that space. Again, going back to DDoS, going back to IoT devices, if there's billions of devices out in the world running an unprotected CPU, that's a billion endpoints that can be used to generate attacks into an application. So layer four, layer seven DDoS protections, both on-premise and in the cloud, again, we have an option in there. Consolidation has been a theme, but there's still some customers of yours that you'll be dealing with that have policies that dictate they have to have dual layers of their security, dual layer firewalling about the place. So they may be deploying a checkpoint. We can then happily sit behind that as the second tier firewall. And web applications. Just about everything is a web application now. And we need to be able to protect that in the ways that a web application needs to be protected. We have anti-fraud tools where, let's say, a user who you don't control, who's got to bring your own device, accessing your systems. We can actually encrypt their data, their usernames and passwords, without them knowing it, on their system without any agents. So if they have a man in the browser already on their device, stuff gets stolen, but it's useless. But if your customers can't do it, don't want to do it, it's too complicated, WAF, as an example, takes a lot of work to manage, give it to us. We have fully managed services that you can use for DDoS and WAF. And however they want to consume it, buy it, we have hardware appliances, software appliances, subscription services, ELAs, chassis based. And increasingly, we're starting to launch as a service models as well. So whichever way your customers want to consume application services to help them with their digital transformation, we have options. So come and talk to us, because it's more than just about delivering the application, but delivering it securely and from anywhere to anywhere. Thank you. Well, thanks to my panel, and thanks to those of you that hung out with us. I hope the takeaway is there's a ton of resources with an arrow. Reach out to any of us, myself, Neil. We're happy to help find you the right people. We'll be around. Um, I'm here, you know, we're at the, we're kind of floating around, but do grab us. Thanks very much, guys. And I guess there is a celebrity on the main stage that's way more interesting than we are, so.